I can't hear you. You're going to have to mute yourself. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Well, welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call with Kim Moore. This is Amy Bernal. And before we got started, I just wanted to, um, well, thank all of you for joining us on the prayer call. And also, I wanted to get a group, anyone who was interested in praying specifically for Kim as we move forward. We've noticed as we've started jumping for joy, we have had so many attacks, and we need a prayer group praying as we go. So if any of you are interested in joining us to do that, I want to give you um, my phone number, and you can text me, and um, we can just pick a time, and I'm thinking 15 minutes a week to just just pray. So if you have a pen, and I'll repeat my number at the end of the call, but I, I just wanted to go ahead and let you know, um, my number is 678-754-0867. Again, that's 678 678- Seven five four zero eight six seven, and I'll repeat it at the end of the call. Thank you. Go ahead, Kim. Praise God. Welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call. My name is Kim Moore, and I am thankful that you're here tonight. Hold on one second. Hello. Okay. Here we go. Uh, want to welcome you. I'm so thankful that you're here tonight. Uh, I tell you what, on these, I'm kind of like the time frame has affected me this time like at no other time. I mean, it's just I can't, I, I haven't been able to get into the new rhythm, and it's only an hour, but it makes, has made such a difference this time. And of course, this past weekend, I was uh, in Commerce, Georgia, ministering to about 30 young teenage girls, and so, so amazing watching what God does and seeing lights turned on, seeing girls, young girls coming, uh, just weighted down and leaving, just leaping for joy. It it was amazing. And all of those of you that did step up, I know Amy touched base with a few of you and reached out to a few of you to please pray because we had uh, challenges going uh, there, and yet God prevailed. And I think the message to me is we have to keep pressing forward to the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. We've got to keep speaking. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep standing and trust God. I mean, it's like, you know, God hands you a pass, and you know, I think of a football game, and you're the wide receiver, and God is carrying you down. The, you're running down the field, and Opposition is expected. It's the nature of the game. Well, it's the nature of what we're doing. And so to be able to just continue to hold on to that ball, keep moving, keep running, I think is the task that all of us uh, that all of us are assigned in the lanes that God has given us. And so I'm extremely grateful that you're here flanking me on each side and, and, and praying with me and learning and taking and sharing this message because I believe that God has something special in, in, in mind for marriages 
in this hour. And I read an article today, and it was in Charisma, and it was talking about marriage and family and how a breakthrough was coming. And I think I posted it on my page, and it was an unsolicited confirmation to me that a sound of heaven has gone out concerning marriages and, and uh, specifically marriages and families. And I thank God that he has given this line, this uh, part of this assignment to us to be able to trumpet it. And so I appreciate you. I appreciate your faithfulness. I appreciate you guys that support this effort financially. Uh, we can't do it without you. And I'm, I'm extremely grateful for you holding my arms up and sometimes making ministry easy for me. So I appreciate it. Well, if this is the first time on the call for you, uh, we talk about kingdom marriage and very, very simply, that means we are talking about those things, concepts, principles, and truths that apply to male and female, husbands and wives, that transcend gender, that transcend roles. Because until we grasp hold of who we are as kingdom citizens, and until we are walking in our authority as kingdom citizens, we will always continue to fight um, uh, this whole, uh, these have these power struggles in marriage sometimes and, and the, the, the war between the genders. And until we rise up and elevate the conversation and, and take on who we are in the kingdom, in Jesus Christ, um, I think that that is the hope for the church. It's the hope for our marriages and our families. And so we are committed to dispensing those truths that transcend gender that transcend husbands and wives that transcend roles and needs and so let me give you a recap of last week um, last week I, I always start and I say it again that the kingdom of God is is bent on growth multiplication and expansion and we're kingdom citizens we're seeds that God has planted in the earth and as such he expects us to grow he expects husbands and wives to grow multiply and reproduce. And conflict, which we talked about in great detail last week, is an opportunity to grow up spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. We said that again. Conflict is an opportunity to grow up spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And that's because offense or opposition is, is a necessary ingredient for growth. In the gym, we build strong muscles by continuously overcoming or applying ourselves and overcoming uh, increasing resistance or increasing weight. And we might start off with lighter weights, but as our muscles get bigger, the weights get heavier. And the bigger the muscle, the more weight is required, the more weight we're required to overcome to produce the size of that muscle. Well, the same is true spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. You know, Jesus speaks of it in terms of um, drinking a cup. Well, you know, Jesus drunk a pitcher. I mean, Jesus, I mean, he drunk, you know, uh, a pitcher. I mean, but it didn't start as a pitcher. It started as a little cup. So we grow. As we grow in wisdom and stature, as Jesus did, the adversities, the challenges, the, the weights that, that God allows us to be presented with grow. And, you know, that's why Christians who adopt this, you know, husbands and wives who adopt this attitude, this is the way I am, like it, love it, leave it, it's an, it, it that attitude is forfeits or causes one to forfeit kingdom privileges that accompany those that are growing and maturing. 
So that's, that's really, you know, a, a luxury statement that a, that a growing Christian really can't afford to make. A husband and wife could, can't afford to make. This is the way I am. Like it, love it, leave it. It's an attitude that, that really uh, just, uh, it hinders the Holy Spirit from bringing us into our destiny. And last week we said that conflict is God's request for something you have so that he can release more of himself in you. So every time a husband and wife are arguing, and again, this is true of any relationship, but we're speaking about marriage. Every time a husband and wife are arguing or find themselves in conflict, God is asking for something from each one of them so that he can release, so that he can share more of himself, more of his glory, more of his authority, and more of his power in each one's life. And so when his request is simply making room for himself uh, in you and in me, so that he can dispense the kingdom here on earth. And we also said that the frequency and intensity of conflict in the marriage equals the degree to which husband and or wife are unwilling to give God what he requests. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, well, let me just stop here for a moment and... and, uh, and pray, and then we'll continue on. Well, Father, I just thank you tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to uh, uh, just to have a life in Christ and that Christ can have his life in us, Father. I thank you, Lord, that we come to this call tonight, God, desiring you, Lord, to restore marriage to the body of Christ in our own homes and in the church at large, Father. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you that you've chosen us to be a part of a divine makeover in marriage. We thank you and we praise you, Father God, that you were giving us tools and technology of the kingdom, God, that we might bring it to bear in our own lives and in our marriages and our families. Father, we thank you and we praise you for sending out a sound from heaven and causing our ears to catch it, Father. For you said it is you who give the seeing eyes and the hearing ears and even an understanding heart. And so we thank you tonight, God, that your sheep hear your voice, that you have given them hearing ears, seeing eyes, and an understanding heart. That, Father God, everything that comes from your throne tonight, God, I pray in the name of Jesus, it would stick, Lord, to the heart of your people, God, that they would embrace it, God, that they would engage it, God, that they would share it, God, that they would repeat it, God, that your kingdom would come to the lives, their own lives, and the lives you've given them to influence. Now, Father God, as we pray and as we talk tonight, we pray, God, that you put a bit in my mouth and a bridle in my tongue, and I say what you say, God. I say what I've seen, God. I say what I've seen you do, and I say what I hear you say, God. So I just thank you, and I praise you today, God. I thank you, and we plead the blood of Jesus over every marriage, every husband, every wife, and everyone on this call that is hearing now or will hear in the future. We declare that the same spirit that is accompanying this call today will accompany the words that I speak, for they are spirit and life, and the same spirit, Lord, would rise and accompany these words to those that hear it in the future, in Jesus' name. So, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says this, and this is the Passion Translation. Have you forgotten that your body is now the sacred temple of the spirit of holiness who lives in you? You do not belong to yourself any longer, for the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside your sanctuary. You are God's expensive purchase paid for with tears of blood 
So by all means, then, use your body to bring glory to God. So Paul is telling us that we that believe and have confessed and received Jesus Christ belong to God. And as our owner and maker, manufacturer, God has the right to make requests and even demands of us as his possession. When we accept Jesus as our Savior and enter the kingdom, we give up the right to live and do as we please. And part of the challenge in the church and in marriages today is that we profess Christ, but we live and we do as we please in relationship to one another. Um, We are here. uh, We are here alive, and we serve at the pleasure of the king whose kingdom we belong. Conflict reminds kingdom citizens of this very fact. So how we respond in conflict is critical to our well-being spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. So tonight, last time I gave you three questions that rise when conflict is present. And I gave them to you quickly, and I did not unpack them. So tonight and in the next couple weeks, I want to unpack them and dive into them further with some examples so that you get the, the, the robust nature of the scriptures and where they come from so that you can go back and study it for yourself. So tonight I'm just going to do question one. And so this question, as with the other two, are embedded in marital conflict. They are underneath the surface. Um, Remember, kingdom truths and concepts and principles, they apply to all individuals and all relationships. We just happen to be talking about marriage. So, So although we're talking about marriage tonight, You can take this one question and find it embedded in the fabric of human life and every, uh, in your fabric of your human, uh, of your life and every relationship in which conflict becomes present or, or, um, yeah, in which conflict becomes or shows up. Um, These three questions and challenges uh, apply to all individuals and relationships. Jesus, listen, Jesus would have had to have, had to have been confronted with them personally. Um, remember, he was a human being, just like us, whose spirit dwelled in us. And Hebrews 4.15 says he understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king and high priest, king and priest, was tempted in every way just as we are and conquered sin. So these questions are universal, and they're rooted in the fabric of both human and divine nature. They connect heaven to earth. They connect us. They enable us to join heaven and earth and, have, and, and, and practice a dual citizenship, citizens of the kingdom of God, of heaven, and citizens of this earth. They permit these three questions allow, they permit for the rule of God on earth as we engage them and we answer them as Jesus did. Every time we answer this question, as Jesus answered them, then we are bringing heaven to earth. We are establishing the kingdom of God. These three questions are so significant that nearly every other question we are ever ever asked can be reduced to one of these three questions. Now, that sounds like that's crazy. Every question, you're saying almost Almost every question we're asked can be whittled down to these three. Think about this. 
Since Jesus lived a human life and was challenged in every way as we were and was without sin, there has to be an, all in, an all-encompassing mechanism to have allowed him to experience and contend with everything we do. So since literally every single variable or experience he didn't have because he didn't sin, he had to have a way to experience the hunger or what it was like to be tempted by the things we're tempted. And so what I want to show you through these three questions that Jesus was tempted, these three questions represent every temptation you or I could ever experience. Every single challenge that you or I have ever experienced. Though you might not find the actual uh, ascription, I can't think of something off the top of my head, every single thing that you or I are confronted with, the Bible says temptation, Jesus was confronted with, and therefore these questions have to be all-encompassing and cover every situation or circumstances that circumstance that comes up, including what happens in conflict. So that is a broad and sweeping statement, but it also goes to show you how significant, important, and universal these questions are. These questions address our need for provision, purpose, and protection. They provide answers to our need for acceptance, autonomy, significance, and worship. And when we answer the questions correctly, we grow in wisdom and stature just as Jesus did. We multiply, expand the influence of the kingdom of God in our own lives, in our marriages, and our families. Luke 2.52 says this, as Jesus grew, so did his wisdom and maturity. The favor of men increased upon his life, for he was loved by God greatly. So as we learn how to respond or, or receive the ability and the grace to respond as Jesus did to these questions, we also will, in, we will, in conflict, we will also grow in wisdom, maturity, and guess what? We will also enjoy the favor of, of our husbands and wives. And so <clears throat> these questions um, are the redundant questions of life, relationship, and thus conflict. And so the more we give the right answers, the stronger we become, the more authority God can trust us with in his kingdom and in the earth. So here's the first question. As I said all of that, because I really think it's important as you understand the gravity of what I'm about to share with you in this first question. So the first question and answer is in Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Afterward, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going through the ordeal of testing. And after fasting 40 days, Jesus was extremely weak and famished. The tempter came to entice him to provide food by doing a miracle. So he said to Jesus, how can you possibly be the son of God and go hungry? Just order these stones to be turned to loaves of bread. Jesus answered, the scriptures say, bread alone will not satisfy, but true life is found in every word which constant goes forth from God's mouth. So what we know is Jesus was physically hungry. His body was in legitimate need for provision in the form of food. He was, we know that Jesus was physically weak. 
And precisely when he had no strength, we also know that Satan questions Jesus about who he belongs to, about his sonship and the absence of food. How can you belong to God? How can you come from God? How can you be the son of God and be hungry? Satan knew Jesus. Satan already knew Jesus was the son of God and had the authority and ability to turn stones into bread and to provide for himself. See, you can't be tempted unless you have the ability to do what's being asked of you. The real question, though, that Satan was asking Jesus in this time of conflict, he was conflicted in his flesh because he was hungry, and in this time of conflict, uh, he asked Jesus and now asked us in conflict is this, To whom do you belong? That is, who does your body belong to? Who is is your provider, the sustainer, the source of your body, and will you serve it yourself? Jesus answers in verse 4, saying, man can't live by bread alone. Jesus understood Satan's attempt to steal his body by disconnecting it from its source of provision, which was his father and God's word. So let me give you a few scriptures. Matthew 7, 9. Do you know of any parent who would give his hungry child who asked for food a plate of rocks instead? Philippians 4, 19. I am convinced that my God will fully supply, fully satisfy every need you have, for I have seen the abundant riches of glory revealed to me through the anointed one, Jesus Christ. And then David recalled in the Psalms, I have been young and I have been old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken. And that word righteous means in right position, as in belonging in an alignment. But your question to mine is, how does this apply to marital conflict? Well, here's the thing. God wants each of us to grow. Conflict, the desires and questions it raises, offer husbands and wives options that were not previously available. Jesus was hungry and had a desire for food. He was offered an alternative to secure God's, alternative to securing God's position. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first, seek and respond to the kingdom first. That means in all we must acknowledge, inquire, and respond to God. Proverbs 3.5-8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Listen to this. It will be health to your body and strength to your bones. So the question becomes, what kinds of body needs and desires do husbands and wives have that trigger arguments? And so I just named a few, food, clothing, shelter, money, sex. These hungers are related to real body experiences that many of us, and, and perhaps all of us on this line, uh, can identify with. Um, and they represent desires and they represent needs. But most couples fight at the surface level, level, missing the deeper issue and the question truly being asked of them. And that was the question asked of Jesus. To whom do you belong? For whomever you belong is responsible for providing for you. He is that person is your source, that person is your provision, your sustenance, and responsible for your needs. Here's an example. 
Brenda loves clothes and shoes. She shops till she drops, like all the time. Her wardrobe takes nearly all of their master bedroom closet, her and her husband's master bedroom closet, and all of the guest room closet. She has so many clothes that some of them still have the tags on from over a year or so. Her husband, Chuck, is livid. He's constantly juggling their finances to pay bills and now is just beside himself because of the uh, the credit card uh, the credit card debt, the skyrocketing interest rates than Brenda's shopping. You know, each time they get into an argument, Brenda promises, you know, to do better, not to buy anything else, only to slip out the house, come back home, run upstairs, and hide a new purchase in, in a closet. Now, we insert Brenda's clothing desire, her body need for clothing, into the scenario in Matthew 1, 4, 1 through 4, 1 through 4, it might read like this. And after going on numerous shopping sprees, Brenda's no muscle was extremely weak. Then the tempter came to entice Brenda to spend more money on clothes. So he said to Brenda, how can you possibly do without that outfit you just saw in Macy? It will be a perfect for that affair you have next week. And it's on sale. You can get it now and pay for it later. You can get it now and sell one of the other outfits in your closet so you really won't be spending any more money. Brenda has a few options. She can buy it and sell a clothing item. She could buy it on credit. She could ask someone else to buy it for her and pay them back later. Or she could not buy it and trust God that if it is for her, then he can make it happen without her. And if he doesn't, she can learn to be content without it. So, is it wrong for Brenda to want clothes? Absolutely not. Is it bringing her in conflict with her husband? Yep, it sure is. And so, not only is Brenda being asked the question, hey, who's provided for you? Who's your provider? To whom do you belong? To whom does this body of yours belong to? And the other question that, and and we won't deal with that here, is what's going on in Brenda that she has this inordinate need, out-of-control need, to buy clothes? And there could be any number of reasons for that, which that's a whole other conversation. Suffice it to say here, in Matthew 1 through 4, Brenda's being asked, to whom does your body belong? To whom do your clothing needs belong? Listen, temptation is not a sin. Answering it is. And I say this, I say it really compassionately uh, because, you know, some of us get stuck and it gets difficult for us and we mean well, but honestly, we're trapped. Remember, when we respond to Satan, we become uh, used by him. We become a pawn in his shop. And and in his chess game with God, we become a pawn. So we're not free to do as we want to do. And so Brenda's inability to say no um, makes her body and her decisions to buy clothes, it places her 
in Satan's hands. Listen, all body hungers, food, clothing, shelter, money, sex, and temptations are aimed at getting us to take matters into our own hands to become our own source of provision, ultimately allowing Satan to capture our bodies. Remember, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal our bodies, kill our souls, and destroy our spirit. Here's another example, though. I always feel like when I give these examples, I got to give one for the guys and I got to give one for the ladies. So here's another example. David and Jill have sex two or three times a week. David wants sex. David wants more sex. Jill is content with the amount of sex she has with David and actually could do with less. She hasn't refused David's request, but seldom initiates and, and even admits disinterest. David's desire for more sex and Jill's disinterest in sex triggers arguments. If we put David's desire uh, for sex, um, in the scenario of Matthew 4, 1 through 4, it might read something like this. As, and after having sex with Jill twice, two or three times a week, David was extremely, uh, a couple times a week, David was uh, extremely wanting, still wanting, and weak from devouring more sex. Then the tempter came to entice David to provide sex for himself by masturbating. So he said to David, how can you possibly have a wife and go hungry? Doesn't this, and go hungry sexually? Doesn't the scripture say her body's not her own? Hey, just flip on the cable pornography channel, masturbate, and take matters into your own hands. So David's got options. He's got options. David could take Satan up on his suggestion and take matters into his own hands, watch pornography and masturbate. He could, but in doing so, he would become his own source of pleasure and satisfaction as well as become a pawn in Satan's hand. In this area, not every area, but in this area of David's life, he would be being used or belong to Satan. But look, he could also commit adultery, which is simply masturbating with another person and pro to provide for your own sexual pleasure. But again, David would be taking matters into his own hands, become his own source and provider of sexual satisfaction, but his body would still belong and be used by Satan. Remember, Satan comes to do three things, steal our bodies, kill our souls, and destroy our spirit. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy, I have come that you might have life, that you might have and enjoy life and have it more abundantly to the fill till it overflows. So the question for David is, to whom does David belong? How he answers Satan's request determines who he is enlisting as his ultimate supplier or provider. You know, David could also decide that he will not live by sex alone, but wait on God to fulfill his desire through his wife. But what if she never changes? Whatever she, but what if she never changes? I'm glad you asked. Paul writes in Hebrews 12:4, You have not struggled and fought agonizingly against sin, nor have you resisted and withstood to the point of pouring out of your own blood. 
In 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul writes, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Here's something interesting. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. So you mean that David's temptation is no different from Brenda's temptation to buy clothes and uh, to, to, to be concerned and preoccupied with covering her body with clothing. Well, that's what Paul says. The temptations are no different. They are common. So what is it about temptation that is common? It feeds on your own desires and your own hunger for something. And James says that when that desire conceives, it brings forth, it brings forth um, fruit, and that is sin. I want to be able to find that. Amy, if you can find that in James 1, that every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own desire and when it has conceived. Um, I, I'd like to read that. I don't want to slaughter that verse. And while you're doing that, look into this. First Thessalonians 4.4 4 says, that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So we're responsible for possessing our body, and we do so with the grace and help of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we ultimately belong. And were you able to um, find that verse? But we'll come back to it if she's not able to. uh, Yes, can you hear me? Yes, can you read that verse, please? Yes, it's James 1, 14 through 16. But everyone is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So... The fact that the commonality of Brenda's temptation and um, David's temptation is James 1. Read that again slowly. Here's the commonality. Husband, wife, here's the commonality. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Well, stop there. When he's drawn away from his own Bodily desire, go ahead. And enticed. And enticed. So we saw we saw Brenda has a desire, David has a desire, and both of them, as well as Jesus in Matthew four, one through four, they were all each one of them were enticed. They both had desires, legitimate desires, then they were enticed. They were hungry with desire, then they were enticed. Then what happens? Then when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin. So when we accept or respond to the temptation or answer the enticement, remember we have to have the ability to do it or it's not a temptation, then it, bring, then, then it brings forth sin and sin ultimately brings forth death, which is separation from God and ultimately separation from one another, which happens when there is conflict in marriage. There is a separation that takes place. Let me just say, thanks, Amy. Let me just say this about um, about a sex. And, and uh, you know, sometimes I feel like you know I don't want to be hard because um, I, I'm extremely compassionate because I, I, all the time, you know, I 
here of husbands and wives and, and that being a difficult or um, not happy part of their marital relationship. And so I speak compassionately because I really believe it saddens the heart of God that so many husbands and wives' sex lives are less than what than the ideal, less than what he intended. And he intended sex and marriage between man and a woman uh, to be the most intimate, amazing human experience and the experience closest to what it feels like to be one with, with God, in the, 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 to relate as the Trinity, as, and also with another human being. I mean, it's supposed to truly be heaven on earth. And think about this. There will be no one given to marriage in heaven, which means that the experience, the sexual, the intimate sexual, the sexual experience, the physical sexual experience is intended to replicate something that we are to experience on the other side that perhaps is far greater, and yet this is the best and the most blessed opportunity we could have on earth to experience what heaven, what heaven has to offer us over there that won't include physical sex because there will be no one given to marriage. And so, but God wants husbands and wives to experience the ecstasy, orgasm, sinking of two bodies, and it's meant for the enjoyment of husbands and wives. So it's sad that husbands and wives don't, many of them don't have that level of enjoyment in that area. Some don't have sex. Some have very limited sex. Some uh, have sex without deep intimacy, emotional connectedness or vulnerability, and just have sex, but they're not naked and not ashamed. And so I think part of it has been the price of the fall that God desires to restore to marriage. And that's what I believe, that God is restoring, filling vibrant sexual lives and intimate lives between husbands and wives. Well, what I want to just kind of wrap up this with is this. Let me get back to my point here because I want it, I really wanted to, to bring that out. Listen, when Satan uses conflict and particularly this question and the hungers of the body that exposes to steal our bodies, see, Satan is a spirit and God gave the earth to man. So neither God nor Satan can operate on the earth without uh, the availability without using a human being because human beings are in charge of the earth. So when God wants to get something done on the earth, he needs a man. When Satan wants, or a woman, when Satan wants to get something done on the earth, he needs a man or a woman. And so he looks to exploit our legitimate hungers and desires so that he can occupy our bodies and use them for his purpose and glory. But God intends for us as kingdom citizens to use conflict, and we're going to have conflict. We can call it a holy fellowship. We call it, you know, whatever we want to call it, every couple breaks down. They're intended to. It's a part of the plan. But God intends kingdom citizens to use conflict as a training ground to choose him as their as their, as their source, as their provider, as their owner and maker, maintaining that they can maintain their possession of their bodies for his use and for his glory. Listen to Matthew 6, 25 through 30, uh, 33. Therefore I say to you, take no thought about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, 
what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they do not sow nor do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Who among you, by taking thought, can add a cubit to his stature? Why take thought about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither work nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, all of his glory, was not dressed like one of these. Therefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is here and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, take no thought about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take thought about the things of itself. Sufficient to the day is the trouble thereof. The first question, in conclusion, is to whom does your body belong? Hungers of the body are natural, needful, and desirous. How we respond to them in marriage can either fuel conflict or or resolve it. Remember, the kingdom of God intends us to grow. And that means developing self-control. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, and we are required to take and eat all of it. Again, there is no limit to how much we can have. Listen, if you've taken matters into your own hands and become your own source and provider of uh, clothing satisfaction or uh, sexual satisfaction or any other bodily form of pleasure or satisfaction, there's hope. You, you don't have to continue. Jesus saved us in order to deliver us from the grip of the enemy. In Christ, through repentance and response ability, you can take your body back and rededicate it to God. And he will give you the grace to endure temptation or provide a way of escape. But you can also take another step. When we sin against God, we inevitably offend those we love, particularly and most notably in marriage. James 5.16 tells us what to do. Confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another and then pray for one another to be instantly healed for tremendous power is released through passionate, heartfelt, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Let's pray. We thank you. Father, that we have access to you. We thank you that you are our counselor and friend. And we just thank you today, God, that you have given us access to the court system of heaven and that, God, you are our judge. Tonight we enter your court on behalf of ourselves and every husband and wife that has heard this word and takes it to heart concerning their own lives. We recognize the accuser of the brethren is also in this courtroom and rightfully charges us with sexual sin, inordinate desire for shopping, and any other bodily desire that we have engaged that comes to mind now as we pray. We agree with the adversary. We agree with the accuser according to your word, which says agree with the adversary quickly. And we agree that we have taken matters into our own hands. And by doing so, we have become our own source, our own providers of sexual Uh, and other forms of physical uh, pleasure and satisfaction. 
We knowingly and unknowingly have given Satan permission to steal our body, use it for his glory and exaltation. And for this, we ask you to forgive us. Lord, we also recognize in the courtroom is Jesus Christ, our advocate, high priest, that accepted the judgment of death belonging to us for these sins. In exchange, Jesus reconciled us and restored our relationship with you, with the Father. The blood of Jesus is in this courtroom and washes us clean from all sin. Jesus and his blood speak better things of us as we are in him and he is in us. And so, Father, we also recognize a great cloud of witnesses are also here. Lord, just present, God, to these proceedings and the testimony of departed saints, as well as our own testimony of love and faithfulness to you. We ask you to render a verdict acquitting each one of Satan's charges against us on the account of Jesus, his blood, these witnesses, and our testimony. We thank you for the grace to yield our bodies. We thank you for the for fresh grace to yield our bodies to you. We declare that we belong to you, that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord of our bodies. We thank you for sending angels to help keep us in all of our ways and, that, and send people to help us and encourage us. Now, you said if we ask anything in your name, you would hear us, and if you hear us, then we can know that we have the petitions that we have asked of you. Now, Father, I thank you that you sent out an issue a divine restraining order to present uh, to uh, to to restrain any backlash against this word, these prayers, and the life of these on the phone. And I especially pray for those that are live on this call now, Father, that as faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word, God. As your word has gone forth, Lord, it does not go out void, but it would accomplish in the things you have sent it according to your will. And so we bless you for that in Jesus' name. Wow. Well, praise God. Praise God. That was a lot. I'm glad we only did one question today. I hope that you have taken something from this. I hope you will go back to the word and recognize that Satan is after our bodies. We can see it all over the place. We can see it with many of our eating habits and how we, you know, we approach food we can, and, and, and exercise and how we care for our bodies uh, really becomes even more important because Satan's first attack is against the body. It's a three dimensional attack. He first attacks on the ground, then he attacks in the soul, then he attacks your spirit. And so we have to pass these bodily tests if we're going to pass the test of the soul. And and we'll talk about the test of the soul next week and, and that temptation, how that shows up in marital conflict. Well, I hope this was clear to you. want to let you know we are still doing Jumping for Joy, going to every state and U.S. territory, proclaiming and declaring kingdom marriage. And uh, we were planning to go to Tennessee this month, but with the tornadoes, we um, have decided to postpone that to April or perhaps May. Um, but we will be going to Washington, Maryland, and D.C., uh, in April, April 23rd, actually, and so we are hoping that those of you that are interested or want to get on board with that, we welcome you. We um, 
we uh, want you to be a part, you can just uh, email me at kim at moreonrelationships.com. Also, let me throw this out. There's a lot of fear going on with the coronavirus. I encourage you to pick up my book, Face It with Love, The Guide to Conquering Fear. Uh, Love is the antidote to fear not faith. The Bible says faith works by love. We don't need more faith. We need more love because it's love that will cause you to do the impossible. And it is love that fuels your faith, according to Galatians 5, 6. So I encourage you to go out to Amazon, pick that book up, or you can go to my website, moreonrelationships.com, and pick that up. And also, let me give you Amy's number again. I really covet your prayers. I, I, I can't tell you uh, a new era, new level, new devil. And I tell you what, it, it's just nonstop. And the thing that God keeps saying to me is just keep pressing forward, keep speaking, keep talking, keep pressing. keep. And so that's what we're doing. And the prayers, your prayers make it easier to keep going. Your support makes it easier to keep going. And so thank you so much. And if that's you, if you want to be part of this uh, prayer team uh, for me and the things that we are doing, um, we want to get that in place and, and be consistent with that. Um, so text Amy at 678-758-754-0867. And I am certain she will respond and y'all will get on the same page and get this thing rolling. And let's move this thing forward. Uh, I, I thank you so much. We need, you know, I, I, I look at football. I don't like football, but I think the analogies are so great. But as one having caught this ball, heard this sound from heaven, uh, you know, I need, what is it, linebackers? I, I wish there were some guys on the phone. Linebackers, you know, the people that stand in front of you, that's what prayer does. It goes before me. It goes around me, and it goes behind me so that I can move and do the things that God would have me to do. And so I appreciate any that would consider committing to this aspect of the work. Well, let me give you the replay number for tonight's call. It's 605-475-4980. The access code is 34100-POUND. And and the reference number is 90-POUND. And for those of you that have the Spotify app, it's ref- uh, you can just in the search bar. If you do, It's easier if you just, I don't know, I think when you do those podcasts, you can follow a podcast or you can subscribe, and then um, it will automatically come up to you. But if you haven't, just download the Spotify app and uh, in the search bar put Marriage Reform with Kim Moore. And uh, tonight's message and prayer is reference uh, pound sign 90. 90. So again, thank you so much. I hope you'll share this call, share this word, and talk about what God is doing even here as he sends a sound from heaven to bless marriages and families in Jesus' name. Well, God bless you, and we will see you on the call tomorrow. As always, if you do have a question or comment, you can leave it on my Facebook page, Kim Moore Ministries, and I will answer it. And we will be on the call, and we'll deal with question number two next week. God bless you.